Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now, we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Them, yeah. Well, the most the most jarring of those ever was on. Uh, there was a great HBO series that only ran two seasons called Rome, and um, there was a, a I can't remember who was the character. There was a young kid um, who was was he the next emperor? It's been so long, but I just remember the second season picks up you know two days later after the end of the first <laughs> season, but it's been a year and a half, and he has gone from being a cherub faced ten year old to being this. You know, kind Talk. of buffed out man monster. Who's well, there's, a, there's a Disney movie called Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is based on the Red Bradbury story. And they, they they treated Jack Clayton very poorly on this film. And there were lots mm-hmm. of reshoots. And they previewed it and people didn't like it. And they had to go back. And so th- it, there was a really long period between the time they shot the picture and when they went back and did the reshoots. It was almost a year later. And the kids, they put the kids in the same sets. So in certain scenes in the movie, it looks like a dream sequence because all of a sudden these kids are like huge. And it's like, I want to see it again. It's one of those. I mean, I saw it back then. Sure. And it, 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 I completely was obsessed with it. And Jonathan Price was amazing. Yeah. At I know, it. I know. I would have, and, I would have uh, loved to have made that movie, but I, I was, I was not far along enough in my career. I, I tried to get it, but they said, well, you're a little green uh, for this. Um, because huh. I was a big Ray Bradbury fan. Um, Let's but, do it again. They, when I, when mean, I saw I, how badly they treated Jack Clayton, who had made The Innocence and was a great director, I figured, why yeah. they treated him like that? Imagine wow. what they would have done with me. Well, Disney is such a complicated, insane, and it's uh, and right now it's such a machine that you I, yeah. you don't feel that. The thing is, I've always been scared of them, always. I think from the time I was a kid. and. Uh, and then uh, I, now I realize I'm, I'm, I'm working on a couple of scripts, you know, that from scripts to movies, pe- people say I'm, I'm making these movies. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> I'm working on a couple of scripts and they are for Searchlight. And they're a great outfit. I love them. But in the end, now you go back and you go like, oh, Disney is, is paying my rent. So, <laughs> and it's well, such a scary thought how they get there, you know. After, 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 Walter left, after Walt left, uh, it uh, became uh, somewhat corporate. And now it is a, a, a corporate behemoth which eats other studios now. Yeah, so, it's a, the corporation uh, of corporations. It is. It is. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante.
Now, your film, uh, the title, which we have not mentioned yet, is uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. <laughs> and uh, the, the writer-director is, is here with us. And um, I was curious to learn that after seeing the film, which has a one-word title in Spanish, which I think is Return, uh, that the title was not originally Tigers Are, Are Not Afraid. And having seen the movie, I can't imagine this movie having any other title. And that's very funny, and you're very right there, um, in the sense that um, the, the original title is Los Tigres No Tienen Miedo, Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is longish, but uh, but I loved it from the moment we, we found it, which is a line in the movie. And, um, and when the movie was finished, and I, along with my producers, presented it to the distributors, who were already very scared of the movie since, you know, investing in it. It's not exactly what you pitch. And they go like, oh, yes, let's put money into that. You know, um, they watched it and they understood that the movie was solid and could elicit a response from audiences. They felt that the only way they could possibly sell this was as a straight out horror. And it is a horror movie and it is a ghost story, but it's other things. And they wanted to to lean hard on the horror side. And they felt that Tigers Are Not Afraid was not a horror enough title. Mm, So they started the adventures of distributing a movie. They started coming to me with stuff like Los Espectros del Horror. And I was like, okay, guys. (laughs) Okay. Okay, I get it, the Tigers thing. but, uh, But let's go with something, you know, a little bit more mysterious and I, and I came up with Vuelven which translates as they return and uh, it was acceptable to me for them too uh, I don't think it satisfied anybody really <laughs> but I was able to stick with the actual title for international and that's how it, you know the original title is Tigers Are Not Afraid uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful title. It's a wonderful movie. And I understand that it almost was a zebra. Yes, that's very true. And, uh, and it, Zebras are not afraid. does not have the same resonance. doesn't have <laughs> the ring, right? Or <laughs> no, the, the, the truth of the matter is there were no tigers, uh, in the movie at any level, uh, for most of the drafts. And when we were maybe two weeks or maybe even a week away from shooting, I um, I was going through my visual references and um, and I had asked before time uh, to have a wild animal uh, that would in a way be the metaphor of of this ghost town, this Mexican ghost town, ravaged by violence. That people disappear, people leave, and they become no man's land. And then you see a wild animal uh, in one of the deserted streets by night. And I thought a zebra would be quite a powerful image. And um, I asked my producers for a zebra. zebra. They went out and uh, couldn't find a a decent animal handler that had a zebra. So they came back to me and said, well, we have, you know, horses, blah, 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 and a hippo, which is a wild animal. (laughs) Hippos are not afraid. Yeah, and it it doesn't completely capture the moment of poetry <laughs> I, I was so. <laughs> going for. Platypuses are not afraid. Give me more option, guys. Give me something I can work with. 
They went away, came back, and they said, well, there's a tiger. And I thought, you can't have, you know, a bunch of kids believing that there's a tiger roaming the streets of the town they live in and not making it a huge deal and a legend. And it's such a powerful image. It's also a scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's not impossible, by the way, given the fact that uh, now more than ever, we're aware that private citizens and criminals both right. Right. have wild animals as pets. So there's it, it, it slowly became the totem, the totem at the center of, of this kid's mythos. And, uh, and it became the beginning of the movie because the movie starts with a little bit of the legend of the tiger. But it's a bi-dimensional thing that they draw on walls, a very simple thing. And that myth grows throughout the movie to become a full-grown, fully-fleshed tiger at the end of the movie as the kids grow themselves into their full potential. So it's, I was going for a little metaphor there. <laughs> yes, we have a tiger. You, you can imagine how much the, uh, the stuffed tiger uh, toy that that comes to life uh, appealed to me yes <laughs> well kind of you know i think that all of those things that that turn out in movies are uh well at least definitely in tigers for me is uh, tigers is the movie that that satisfy the my private inner secret geek because <laughs> before that for me it, and i love it I, I i'm not saying that i'm not into comedies i love comedies but that's what i that uh, what I have been able to to make a living of, and when I make tigers, which is a manifestation of of personal cinema for me, that the elements in tigers are so many of them love letters for the stuff that fed me. So Joe, <laughs> yes, it's there, of <laughs> course, and I'm so happy you saw it. Yeah, it's wonderful. That's a, yeah, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. film. But I, I should say, you know, it's, it's um, available on Shutter, by the way. It uh, is on Shutter to uh, show that it has been <laughs> brushed over into the horror ghetto. Uh, but Shutter has a lot of good stuff, and it's it's a pretty classy stuff. channel. So it, I'm just I, the movie is so great that I am, and it's so laden with awards that I was sort of surprised to see that it didn't go to one of the big suppliers like Netflix or Prime or one of those. But uh, but you can get it on Shutter, and you can even get it as uh, you get it for free. If you do a 30-day uh, free trial with them, and then you don't have to watch any more Shutter if you don't want to, but I think they actually program trailers from hell on it, so it's it's okay with me if you keep. Well, that's right. Yes, no, we, we like <laughs> they're we they're like doing that. an amazing job. The truth is, um, I was uh, being a horror fan. I was very curious at at what they have, and when you hear that there is a streaming services for horror for for horror, you assume that is going to be all the slashers, and yes, mm-hmm. those movies are there. And uh, on top of that, they have created and curated a list of the strange, unusual, uh, international, yeah. funky cinema. So they're doing a nice work, a really, really nice work, I think. I, um, my, my wife, Nancy, is uh, talking about the show a lot. She's, um, it's horror, horror is just a genre that's not for her. And I, I, you know, I respect that. Uh, but there was something about this and I'd read enough and I was just, I, I convinced her, I was just like, give it, give it a shot. And if it's too much, you'll, um, 
And the fact that it was on Shutter didn't help <laughs> for her. <laughs> yeah, but for sure. uh, but yeah, I mean, she absolutely loved it. We were both in tears at the end. I mean, it's just it's absolutely beautiful. So, Thank um, you. but that is to say, if if you are a horror fan, it it it's all there. It'll work for you. But if you're someone who's put off by that genre, don't don't uh, don't let that interfere with your uh, checking out this gorgeous Thank film. Uh, yeah, it, it has it has made me uh, proudly. A person that that is automatically happy when people tell me I made them cry. So yeah. <laughs> well, more thing I ask. Yeah. I mean, we want to move, want to move people. That's what we make them. They're called movies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But uh, Issa, you were. So uh, what led we, you to we've it? broken all of our rules here. We've talked about your movie for like ten minutes. We never do that. We, uh, <laughs> uh, we don't care normally. We don't care about your movie. <laughs> but, but let's um, go and and and, yeah. and take apart other movies that. Yes, yeah, let's talk know. about the movies that, that made you and mm -hmm. brought you here. Go. Well, <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I, okay. So um, let's, uh, let's start here on my 10 movies. Let me, let me pick them, put them like this. And now I need glasses because age, oh. that happens. Of They'll course. never see you. It's like, <laughs> okay, she's so, not wearing glasses, folks. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I'm, I actually am. It, it happens. Be ready. Um, well, absolutely and totally the Goonies, um, which is Richard Donner. And, um, I just, I was going through like so many times around my life through a very difficult time. My, my mom died when I was very young and, um, and I was a natural geek and loved literature and, and horror and books and comic books which do not make your life at school easy. So suddenly I, I sit down in the one place that everything is possible and the world is right again, which is uh, a movie theater. And I see this gang of kids and some of them are even bigger losers than me, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and they get together to find a pirate treasure with a map. And, and go through this insane, amazing adventures and put a puzzle together and, uh, and make the world around them right again by, by having fun and, and being themselves. And, uh, and it felt like something that, that could be done. And, and clearly it affected the way I, I told movies and uh, the way I make movies too, because I think that at some point in, in life, it's not completely all right to get together with your friends and pretend and play. And, uh, and what happened with, uh, with me is that I found a way to get together with your friends and create pretend worlds, which is making movies. And, uh, and, and I've been doing that. I just get together to play. And when I went into Tigers, I felt that it was going to be very interesting to have a gang of children going through an adventure to return the world to some semblance of order. And, uh, and it's my very dark reflection of the Goonies, in a way. Yeah, I, yeah, when that, I, I broke the rules again, but it's the influence of these movies, you know? So that's number one. Yeah, no, you can definitely see it. Um, I mean, it's not a, <laughs> it shares no, there's no tonal crossover. It's uh, a much, a much darker film and much there, but it's, um, yeah, it's funny. I, the, Goonies is, um, 
I have a friend who thinks there's a, there's a generational divide, and I don't know what the year is, but there's just a a straight cutoff, and there's people who uh, it's it's this formative experience, and then if you're a year older than that, it's this mystifying thing. Um, I know I th- we. We just found out I'm older than you, is what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is you hate the Goonies. <laughs> no, no, I just it's it's just one of those things. It's not. Um, uh, it, it's almost like a different language for me somehow mm-hmm. when I watch it. I go, what is? I, I keep. Um, for me, it's just I, always the movie that I'm after to do if I directed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that and seems to that, happen yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would be yeah. very curious because. Joe, you would have gone. It has its dark moments, you know. It it is not that dark, but it but it you wouldn't get away with that movie today for kids, you know, at all. With like so many movies that no, so many movies from the eighties, so many movies from the eighties would not. But you particularly would have gone. Well, it was the first movie that Spielberg produced after Gremlins, so so it was going while we were doing the reshoots and finishing the editing of Gremlins that they were doing. Uh, uh, Goonies, which you know, I, I could visit the set. It was a fantastic set with the pirate ship. It was all indoors. Mm-hmm. It was really very stylized. It was cool. And also, some of the kids were I had worked with before. Uh, and so, but it's just it's so funny that so many of the people from that age get the two movies mixed up, and and they they can't really tell the difference between uh, Gremlins and Goonies because they're they both start with G. <laughs> but I, w- I would think that that's where it ends you know? with us. because one is a lot of pirates and sea and the other one is a lot of snow and creatures it's just yeah but they're out. both on the same soundstage so yeah it's true I mean the experience of go- you know as a kid of watching those two I can see how both movies can just yeah, see they're Saturday, they're Saturday matinee movies they're the kind of movies that we used to see yeah. when I was a kid on the Saturday matinee except they were made for much less money and they had the Bowery Boys in <laughs> it's true it's true it's true but it was around the same age which takes me to another one around the exact same time that uh, I would confuse another G movie <laughs> I would confuse a lot more with the gremlins which is ghostbusters uh-huh. it's more like gremlins it is a horror comedy which i will say right now the two hardest uh, genres by far in cinema are comedy and horror you know and and they are vilified and not considered <laughs> when they're the, the hardest thing to achieve a shiver yeah. or a laughter a, like honest belly laughter and they're both visceral uh, reactions and uh for me the my ultimate respect will always go for the directors that can do both together and there's very few movies that achieve it i can think of two with g that is star with g and one is gremlins <laughs> and one is ghostbusters and they both opened the same day too i didn't know that yes did they both they both opened the same day in uh, wow. Christmas '84. It's yeah. true, you know, because I was in Mexico. They they would defer the openings, but I remember the advertisement, the American advertisement for Christmas '84. It's true. So how is it possible that both movies did so well? Well, that was what everybody was amazed because um, they they were both they were both produced by big studios. And they were both uh, in the summer in America and in, in, in Europe, I think it was the rest of the uh, Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh, and for whatever reason, they happened to hit the 
zeitgeist at the same time and the and people they particularly in the case of gremlins which no one had ever heard of it didn't have any stars in it uh it was just one of those things where it, it was everybody was scratching their head nobody could figure out why is this picture making more money the second week or more money the third week than it did when it opened even uh and they were both neck and neck for the whole uh summer and of course ghostbusters had you know, a bigger budget and, and uh, more advertising and they made a little more money. But we beat them in New York because they had, uh, while shooting the movie, closed down a lot of Manhattan and New Yorkers were really pissed <laughs> about, <laughs> about that and they, they went to Gremlins instead. They held a grudge. <laughs> you have to trust a New Yorker for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I will, I'm sorry, but I will stop here. Because I I saw um, recently Gremlins again with you in um, in uh, Bilbao in Spain. Well, it, really? you know, we didn't watch it together, but I was there. Oh. Tigers won all the awards in, in that festival. I will say proudly. And that's, <laughs> so, and that's where I didn't see it. <laughs> because yeah. I only like two days. And uh, and I was amazed about how the movie has not aged. You know, it just. It's it's incredible that so many of those movies that that marked you and so many of the movies in this list, you go back and you sit down and you go, okay, let's see if another god doesn't die here today. But that's usually because they're so firmly entrenched in their time. And the whole idea behind Gremlins was to try to make it universal, make it look like an old movie, make it shoot it on backlots, have it so that it was kind of timeless. And I think that that's probably helped it over these long years uh, that people look at it and they can't quite place when it is. Completely, you're so right with that. You're absolutely right. It, it's honesty. In the end, it's always honesty. If mm -hmm. if you're not trying to to uh, duplicate something else, or to if you're doing something from a place of honesty, if it's real, it's going to survive. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to move some twelve years or so into the future after Ghostbusters. Um, which is Ravenous, Ravenous. You say Ravenous? Oh, yes, Ravenous, Ravenous. Oh, yeah. The, um, yes. By Antonia Bird, which mm -hmm. um, Antonia had a brief um, career, uh, worked a lot in TV, a lot of in European TV. But uh, Ravenous just blew my mind when I saw it. It was based on a real event, uh, loosely based on a real event, which is the Donner Party. Uh, exploration into the West that ended up in cannibalism. And uh, how is it, the, the simple question of how is it that you end up eating your mates and, uh, and what that means. And uh, I remember ages ago reading about cannibalism and, uh, and how on some cultures, it's a sign of deep appreciation of someone because you can't bear the thought of someone you love being buried and rotting. So rather eat that person and make it part of yourself. Consider it for a second. <laughs> just not I, going I, to I'm, say- I'm thinking of who I would eat. Uh, just, just because we're in a lockdown, don't go there to be <laughs> I, They're still delivering in my neighborhood. It's so true. We're, it's we're okay this week. As long as we have actual tacos yeah. not made from someone, but it's still an interesting thought. <laughs> the other the other way to approach it is the opposite of that, which is um, you eat someone as the ultimate and total proof of superiority about the other. Like the ultimate 
screw you that you can do is then I'll kill you and then I'll eat you, which is the right. scariest thing in the world, you know, when we're small children. Isn't that something warriors used to do with testicles? Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, you're very, very particular about what you would eat, but it's absolutely true. Or the mm. heart of another warrior. Yeah, right. It's, right. it's, which is, you know, two quite important parts of, of any of us. <laughs> So, so have have you? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just wondering on on the theme of cannibalism because yeah, that that's an it's uh, Guy Pierce, right? Mm-hmm. It? It's Guy Pierce um, and yeah. uh, Robert. Um, what is Carlisle. his name? Yes, Carlisle. Carlisle. he's amazing. Yes. I haven't seen him in a while. He's really, really yeah. great. Um, although he showed up in the the sequel to Train Spotting a couple of years ago, which was wonderful. But he was. Uh, but no, there was a he was a regular on Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, the fairy tale. Yeah, it's true. Oh, okay. it's true. He was. He that was. always happens. There's some great actor you haven't seen in 10 years. You go, what it turns out they were on some show. They've been on some hit show. For, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, do you, have you seen the French film Raw? Yes. That, that, that also go. It's not in my list, but it's amazing. And Julia de Cornot. Uh, and it's again about that, you know, because how more, how more intimate can you get? With it's someone that, then with consuming them. I guess, them. yeah. You Sitting know? inside of their stomachs is pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. I, I, I want to put that person inside of me. So the, the, the savage thought, I think that all of us are carrying a Jekyll and Hyde. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, in the end, Hyde will always, you know, want to control, possess, love to the point of consumption. And that's mm-hmm. where uh, raw gets it very right. And how if you repress some instincts, they're going to explode in a very savage way. And it's, yeah. again, the same thing that Antonio is doing with Ravenous. I, I, I've been writing a couple of scripts that are not about the same thing, but are definitely about the conflict of trying to control the beastly part of you and the risks of not embracing it. Mm-hmm. So I deeply understand it. Mm-hmm. The next movie is a Mexican movie from 1960, Macario, which probably you guys haven't seen. But uh, oh, you may have broken up when you said. Can you say the title again? Macario. 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 Okay. You it, have it, the. It's it's an amazing movie. It was photographed. Um, it's by Roberto Cavaldon, which is one of the biggest directors of the classical era of Mexican cinema. Uh, Mexican cinema had a huge boom during the late 30s, all of the 40s, and until the early 50s, because uh, the rest of the cinema in the world, uh, the big cinema in the world, was consumed by war. And it the, the, the theme was war. And it got to the point that the world was a little tired of war movies. So Mexican movies that were musicals and melodramas and, and had this huge bomb, uh, boom around the world, huge bomb. Yeah, that too. And um, one of the directors that, that was at the center of this thing was Roberto Gabaldon. So in 1960, which is at the very end of this wave and before uh, American studio cinema um, completely crushed that industry, which happened in the 70s, uh, Macario is born, and it's based on a story based on a Brothers Grimm story. Mm-hmm. And the Brothers Grimm story is um, Godfather Death. And it's based on the idea that a man is trying to get home and, and runs paths with 
um, the devil, and the devil offers to be the godfather of the of his little boy. And the man says, now the, the devil is a liar and keeps on walking and runs paths with God. And God offers to be the, the kid's godfather. And the man says, now, you know, God allows for poverty in the world and walks away from God, which is a powerful moment. And then finally it finds death and death offers to be the godfather. And, uh, and the man says, you know what? Death is equal for everybody. You will be the godfather of my kid. And it's the story of this kid and his deal with death. And he doesn't have a deal with the devil. He has a deal with death. It's an amazing movie. It was shot by Gabriel Figueroa, the best cinematographer Mexico has given the world, which is to say a lot because uh, we have a lot of problems, but DPs are very good in my homeland, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we have amazing DPs. And Gabriel Figueroa is the grandfather of them all. Black and white gorgeous movie um has one of the most iconic scenes of macario walking into a cave with death himself and finding an endless ocean of candles and uh death saying every one of these candles is a soul pick which one is going to be extinguished it's gorgeous watch it i think it's on the criterion channel oh is it is it i'm gonna check Check. Definitely yeah. take a look. The uh, I was just looking. It's also it's based on a short story um, by B. Traven. Benjamin uh, Traven, mm-hmm. who who was uh, the mysterious the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yes, very mysterious character. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but uh, interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look for it. I'm yeah, who created all this this mythological adventurous sense around Mexico and and the Mexican images? It's just a very fun relationship. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You know, I'm going through, it's not even my list, but I'm going through a binge of, of uh, noir movies. The, the Criterion Challenge did a uh, Columbia oh, Noir. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the exotic part of it, how some of the stories take place in Buenos Aires, and some of the stories take place in Shanghai, and some of the stories take place in Montevideo. <laughs> and it's just, and there's <laughs> always maracas. And it's just so lovely how exotic all of this cinema was. I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, for a Latin American, it doesn't feel as exotic as it feels funny, but <laughs> funny in a lovely way. In funny in a lovely but, way. Is, is it because it's so far from the reality? It or? is so yeah. far. <laughs> it's crazy. It's stylish. But it's, yeah, but it's lovely, you yes. know. Let me tell you, in the Lady of Shanghai, the scenes they have in Acapulco, that is mm-hmm. Acapulco. And it looks okay. mm-hmm. stunning. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That that they got right. If we ever could see the other hour of that picture, then the, <laughs> they could disappear. It should be a better picture. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Um, then um, I, I'm going to move to Lake Mungo. Which the movie is from 2008. I think that's a big jump. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny horror movie. I believe someone uh, at some point mentioned the budget to me, and it was 
not even $10,000. It's crazy. And knowing that I'm a horror fan, back in 2009 or so, someone said, you need to watch this movie and gave me a DVD. And uh, it was not in a box. It was, it was a copy. It was a screener that someone has. I don't know. And I went home and I remember the movie. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was going to watch. And I just popped it in. And it starts and it's, it's a mockumentary. And it's so well achieved, the, the, the mockumentary feel in it, that me being a filmmaker was completely fooled. I went like 15 minutes into the, in, into the documentary thinking that someone had given me the wrong oh. movie. And this was not a horror. It was a documentary. And I was like, okay, well, fine. It seems interesting. What's happening is interesting. And then 15 minutes in, something supernatural happens in the documentary. And I go, oh, this is actually a movie. <laughs> and, uh, and it goes into so um, sad places. What I love about that movie is how it can tell a ghost story. but deeply rooted in character and in the ways that families don't know each other really and can be surprised about what's really going on inside of them and how we don't know ourselves and how to tell this story with tremendous twists, twists and surprises after surprises with no resources, talking heads, a little bit of footage, It's just so beautiful and so smart and so minimal. And it has been a big influence on um, myself, certainly, when I have to remember that in telling a story, supernatural or no supernatural, you have to remember to touch fibers of the characters that you're portraying. And I think that it has definitely influenced the work. I saw. Um, The, the Haunting of Hill House, uh, the Mike Flanagan series on Netflix. And, and I'm, I, I saw it and I was like, oh my God, this, this is coming directly, some elements in there from Lake Mongo. And I guess so, because later, following Mike Flanagan on social media, I realized that he's a fan of the movie. And um, I'm, I'm instead, you know, I, when someone else uh, latches on something that, amazes me i think that that's when when filmmakers can explore each other's work and lake mongo itself I, i feel is in a way a riff on the character of laura palmer in mm. in um twin peaks in so the idea of someone that is the perfect girl that everybody knows but nobody really knows is so again it's just filmmakers influencing filmmakers This guy who, who made this movie never made a movie again. I mean, never is a long time. This was only 2008, but that's 12 years. And uh, I would be very curious to see what he would tackle after something like that. Mm -hmm. Do you guys, have you seen it? Uh, repeat the title. I know of it. It's Australian, right? Yes, like Mungo. Yeah. M-U-N-G-O. No, haven't seen it. Um, um, I didn't you, know it existed I, until this moment. You really? No, you guys have to see it. It's so surprising. It's the thing is, it was in Amazon Prime for a while, and and even a month ago it was there, and I was recommending it away. And then recently, a friend of mine 
went, checked, came back and said it's no longer there. And you know, when rights uh, yeah, uh, expire, movies disappear. Yeah. But try to get a hold on it. It's 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 so surprising. And it's tiny. It, it just makes you question how do we spend so much money? Not that we make massive movies, but but you realize how much you can do with so little with, mm. a, with that movie. Oh, um, no, it's right here on Prime. It is on Prime. You have to pay to rent it, but it is... Oh, uh, completely worth it. Whatever, three bucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But for some reason, there's another listing for it on Prime that says this movie is not available. So that makes that's, your, that's what's confusing. Your friend bumped up against. And then I'll go into The Witches of Eastwick. Uh, oh. Another, <laughs> another cross uh, uh, gen, genre bender. I, I will say, inclining more towards a very dark comedy, but it has its tremendously spooky, disturbing, uh, above all, disturbing moments. And um, it, it, Witches is a George Miller movie, and yeah. uh, filmmakers that have um, a way of, of, of a range of genres that they can they can do. I mean, George Miller is is crazy that he goes like, oh, let's make a 3D feel good little animals movie, and he makes <laughs> a happy feet, and he does the witches, and he does whatever he goes on to. It's, it's Lorenzo's it's oil. Sorry, uh, Lorenzo's oil. Lorenzo's oil. You know, it, he well, can and, like, Babe and, uh, and this last Mad Max movie, which is one of the most know, phenomenal movies, the movies of the decade, if not. Ever, yeah. really? Yeah. Um, and 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 the man is um, George probably is going. I, I don't know. I mean, she's going to hit eighty. I I will say, and uh, and he's just becoming a better filmmaker every time. It's just how do you do that? And everybody loves him. So well, he's a <laughs> so wonderful guy. I mean, he, I, he was at Warner Brothers. We, we did the Twilight Zone movie together, and. Uh, his visiting his set for his episode, which was the the guy in the plane who sees the gremlin on the wing, uh, was just a phenomenal. And my my most phenomenal experience on a movie set was watching this incredible this life size plane hanging in the with with you know sparks and fog and stuff and uh, and this monster on the wing and everything. And it, it was just, it was thrilling and and. Uh, then both George and I thought because of that movie, because there had been an accident during the making of one of the episodes, that the studio had more or less left us alone. They just didn't, they wanted the movie, but they didn't want to have anything to do with it officially. Mm -hmm. So they, we, we had this tremendous freedom. And both of us made the mistake of thinking, this is how studio movies are made. They give you all this great stuff and all these great artisans, and, and then they leave you alone and make your movie. Well, when I made my next picture, which was Gremlins, I discovered that was not the case. That's not exactly how it <laughs> And when George made Wishes of Eastwick, he really discovered it wasn't the way it worked because they, they were so hands-on with him that they kept changing the, the, the cast. The, 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 uh, he, he's, I have a VHS of all the uh, uh, tests that were made of various actresses in these parts. And they started shooting with a different scattering of women playing the different parts. And they, and they, and they changed it on him several times while they were making the picture. While he was shooting? While he was shooting. No, no, she should play this. And, and, and Plus, you know, to, this is hurting cats. I mean, you've got a lot of big actresses here who, you know, all have egos. And 
Um, and it was, it was not uh, the world's greatest experience for him. And, I, and he immediately left the country oh. to go back to uh, Australia, where he was you know, a, a big name and was not treated mm -hmm. like some guy who was hired off the street. Uh, and and he never came back. I mean, he, that's that was his. He was now an international filmmaker. He was not going to be a Hollywood filmmaker anymore. Well done, George. There. Now the the thing is, um, I was discussing in in, in a different um, situation uh, not long ago. Blade Runner, which is not in my list, but of course it's a movie that made us me definitely. And um, you go through the story, the 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 history of how Blade Runner gets made and how hard it was and how many conflicts and how uh, writers changed and and if you if i haven't seen the movie and you tell me this story i'm going to go that movie is going to be terrible that movie is going to be terrible because they're not letting the director do what he wants which is a big no-no guys uh, of course <laughs> and uh and and you're you're changing decisions and nobody is on top and it's what i call an orphan movie nobody's really the parent and for me that's a recipe of disaster then from time to time it ends up being blade runner which is incredible that it turned out being this little perfect machine or the witches of his week hearing i didn't know this and i would never guess by watching the movie it feels so you know, so self-assured. But because he's such a good filmmaker, I mean, he managed yeah. to, to hide all of those problems. I mean, it, it's it's the Casablanca situation. You know, every day you wake up and you don't know what the story's going to be. You don't know who's going to end up with the girl. And with 27 writers and everybody's fighting. And it turns out to be great. So, yeah. you know, you, you just never know. Yeah, Gone with the Wind, another one of those, yeah. you know, that's a director secretly directing on the side, all of those. And then, you know, <laughs> so which which shouldn't happen. We should be able as filmmakers, I said, that never works. Don't do that to filmmakers. Well, it's it's so mysterious. It seldom works, but when it does work, it's, it is a miracle. Yeah, yes. you know. And um, I, I, I'm going to go with Fanny and Alexander from, from Bergman. Yeah. That... Um, is also a big influence on on my work. I, I saw it very early in my life, and um, I went. You know, I, I I think I saw another Christmas movie, by the way. But I think I saw probably Goonies and Fanny and Alexander on the same week or something like that. And uh, <laughs> that was my child. That was probably my a double bill. <laughs> yeah, it was. I I was able to watch all the Amblin movies that I adored, but in exchange of that. I had to sit down with my dad and watch Tarkovsky and Bergman and Antonioni, and I hated it. And then I learned how yes. amazing it was and how it shaped me. And if you, if, you know, if you watch the movie, you're going to see that there's a lot of Amblin, but there's a lot of wannabe Tarkovsky. You know, it's 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 mm -hmm. it's there. So uh, thank you, Dad. I guess, <laughs> but Fanny and Alexander. I didn't even have a chance to 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 go into. Oh God, I hate this movie. I loved it because it is a ghost story. It is it's told from the perspective of the children that don't understand all this adults event changing everything around them and ruining their gorgeous lives. So um, the 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 idea that. Um, the dead never leave and they walk with you. And the idea that it, when something strange happens, you can be put 
for a couple of nights in the house of a family friend who on, owns a mummy. Um, I never say it right in English. A mummy? The mummy? A mummy. A mummy. Thank yeah. you. And uh, owns a mummy and there's an angel in a room and you're not supposed to visit that angel because it eats, it eats human flesh. Again, I think I'm fixated on that. I need to explore that. Interesting. <laughs> the themes start to emerge. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, guys, of course. Oh, oh wow. That's interesting. Okay. Not surprisingly. Right. So, uh, um, you know, uh, it, it's, 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 set the, it's back there with so many things that completely fascinate me. Um, next movie is Terrified. Is have you guys seen Terrified? Terrified, the Argentinian. Oh no, 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 no. Argentinian. An American movie at the same time. It's uh, yeah. It's um. It's called Aterrados in Espanol. Terrified. It's Argentinian. It's horror. Straight out horror. It's in Shutter. Please watch it. It's um. I, I met the, the director in in the festival circuit. And uh, everybody was raving about the movie, but we were all getting too drunk to actually watch the movies as happens in those festivals, I've been told. And uh, and I, we kept bumping into each other. And he's this lovely Argentinian guy. And he was like, have you seen my movie? And I was like, yes, um, soon. And eventually I couldn't escape. And we were in, in South Korea and he dragged me to the theater. And when you like a filmmaker, but you haven't seen their movies, oh, it's, God, very right? yes. <laughs> it's very scary. It's very scary because, you know, if the movie is horrible, yeah. everything is ruined and you're never going, everything is wrong at that moment. So it's I, so you. <laughs> so I sat down in the movie theater and I was like, oh God, please make this movie good. And um, it just starts playing. And uh, I'm this grown-ass woman I'm now, and uh, and I I watch I watch everything horror that that comes. I watch everything, but especially horror. I love it, and it's very hard to scare me in a movie theater. Very hard, and I don't know. Maybe 15 minutes into the movie, and the Mianda director was sitting behind me, so he could see me. So I couldn't even leave the theater, and I thought. The risk was if the movie was not good, maybe I could escape and come back. But um, no, the problem was the movie was so scary, guys. So scary that this never happens in my adult life. 15 minutes into the movie, I go like, I need to get out because this movie is too scary and I will not make it through. (laughs) It was tremendous. And I finished it and I did have bad dreams. At my advanced age, wow. <laughs> for a couple of weeks, and I was sending messages oh, to them, yeah, like, weeks. see what you wow. did. <laughs> it's so scary. Please go watch really? it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Nice. And it's really well made. So. Uh, Definitely not watching that one with. Uh, not with your, not with the, not, not with your wife, no. Yes. Last movie. <laughs> we got there. Oh, no. It's called The Doors of the Night. It's a French movie by Marcel Carnet. I believe is well, it takes place right after World War II ends. And I would, I'm not sure about the, the year it was shot. I'm going to risk saying uh, 46, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's um, Yves Montand, isn't it? A very young, very hot Yves Montand. And um, that movie took me by surprise. And it was another one of these movies my father dragged me to watch. And um, it's about a little bit like Macario, but Paris after the war. So nothing like Macario, I guess. But okay. Um, There's this man coming out of... uh, Le Metro, the Metro in, in Paris, and uh, and he he's going to get to a part of uh, when when the Metro opens, the doors of the city are open after the war, and as he's waiting for the doors to open um, at the at the beginning of the day, he runs into fate, the actual fate, like Macario runs into death, and f- and they have this moment of fate rules everything. Now you make your own fate, and fate says. I'll see you at these doors in 24 hours. And what happens in those 24 hours and how his entire life changes and he falls in love and out of love and all of that happens because fate is just gorgeous and sad and breathtaking. Marcel Carnet, everybody that talks about Marcel Carnet talks about Les Enfants de Paradis, the, the Children of Paradise. That's good. That's fun. Watch The Doors of the Night. It's incredible. And that's 10 movies. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Wow. And there's a, a bunch there I didn't even know. That's and, great. Uh, uh, even, even Joe didn't know, which is astonishing. Um, it's, it's I can't tell all around the world, you know, to see these movies. Yeah. <laughs> I try to make um, it a little bit international. No, okay. And a little bit yeah, all, no, all, 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 all over the place. I know, I'm aware. That's, that's, <laughs> we go for that. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, well, Issa, thank you so much, so much. Uh, for joining us. Thanks for, um, I keep saying to people, thanks for coming out. Thanks for staying in. And- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the phrase. Thank you for staying in, you two guys. And uh, yes. it was such a pleasure and such an honor. Thank you. No, it was a blast. Again. And the movie is um, Tigers Are Not Afraid. If you haven't seen it yet, please check check it out. It's 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 a revelation. It's just, um, it's it's beautiful. And um, you've done thank a wonderful you. thing. We can't, we can't wait for the next one. Uh, me neither. You know, yes. any of us must get to a set. So but we have no excuse. We have to end up with not only good, but really exceptional scripts because we have the time. So let's try. <laughs> this is true. Yes. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Take good care, guys. You. Bye. And before we go, just a quick heads up, a brand spanking new, beautiful DVD and DVD Blu-ray steelbook of Tigers Are Not Afraid was just released last week. Seriously, folks, if you have not seen this movie, check it out. It's fantastic. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.